for our new addition and for our uh, suppers and things like that, and uh, we never quite got around to it, and we didn't put it in the budget, but uh, because of the uh, um, because of this uh, service coming up, uh, we we did uh, purchase uh, some chairs individually. A couple, we had a few discussions. And individually, uh, we got together and purchased uh, 10 tables. Uh, and uh, so if you would like to uh, help defray the cost of those, uh, you could speak with either uh, myself or Dean afterwards. Um, so like I said, we have purchased those uh, uh, individually, separately. Uh, but like I said, uh, if you'd like to help out uh, to defray some of that cost, uh, that would be wonderful. And this fall, maybe we can, uh, uh, after after one of our business meetings, we can uh, decide to uh, purchase the uh, chairs as well. Uh, I wanted to thank everybody for uh, helping with the uh, cleaning up in the uh, down cellar last uh, last Sunday. Uh, we were able to get the uh, the plumbers in to do their work, and they've actually got the hot water heater uh, hooked up, uh, the water part of it hooked up. So that's good. We just got to get the electrical part done but uh, things are moving along there and we're really appreciative of everybody that's able to help and uh, we should be uh, starting to have I hope think pray uh, possibly this week we may be able to uh, start having uh, some of the painting done out there as well so we're excited about that uh, last uh, but not least uh, or most importantly uh, most of you know that uh, Steve has uh, Steve's health has been declining uh, this week uh, fairly significantly. Uh, they were they did have to uh, bring in a hospital bed, so he's uh, not getting around. Um, and so, in the in the spirit of that, uh, we're asked if we could uh, maybe refrain from everybody uh, calling or texting uh, Jane to see uh, to see how everything is. And uh, we're going to have a, a contact person, I think uh, possibly Donna, that can kind of let people know how everything is going. And that way it'll kind of make it a little easier for Jane. Um, and we will be having, uh, there is a sign-up sheet on the back of, on the back, in the back of the church as well uh, for meals for Steve and Jane. And it will be for every other day. And, uh, and if you could, uh, the request was to make smaller-ish meals um, and... Uh, I think that was it. Was there anything else? Any other announcements that need to be made this morning? Any other announcements? Okay. Well, why don't we uh, go to the Lord in prayer? Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beautiful sunshine. We thank you that we can be uh, in your house today and we can worship you. And we think of the all of the things that have gone on this week, we think of Steve and Jane and, uh, and Steve's uh, declining health. And we pray that you would just watch over them this morning and uh, lead and guide them and give them wisdom in, in what needs to be done and, and when. Uh, we're thankful that you are 100% in control of each one of our lives and no matter what happens when difficult things happen or when unexpected good things happen you are still in control so we pray that you would help us to remember that 
and that we would trust in you with all of our hearts and to not lean on our own understanding and that we would acknowledge you. So I pray that you'd watch over this service this morning. We think of those that are not able to be here this morning. There seems like quite a few. So we pray that you would uh, uh, be working in their lives, if there's a, whether it's a illness or uh, whatever the situation is, we pray that you would bring them back to us again, and uh, we pray that you would watch over Ian this morning as he brings the message. We pray that everything that is said and done today would be honoring and glorifying to you, and that uh, your name would be lifted up this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Here it is. Yes. I'd like to say that uh, I don't see Dennis a long time. Uh, I'd like to thank the Liberty Church for, uh, for taking him in. And uh, it's a different Steve Daniels. Yes. going to say that uh, this week I came down with a, a little bit of a cold and uh, so I will try to make sure I if I wasn't uh, if I wasn't going to be in the pulpit this morning I wouldn't be here uh, so I'm a little short of breath and a little winded here so uh, just uh, bear with me a little bit uh, and I will get one of these little dry mouth things out there we go. All right. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Psalm 86. Psalm 86, 1 through 13. If you'd like to follow along with me. I love reading the Psalms. Psalm 86. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great 
and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. And now if you would turn with me to number 655, we'll stand and sing Sanctuary. And let's stand and sing it through a couple of times. 655. to number 688. Savior like a shepherd lead us. 688. We'll sing the first, the second, and the fourth verses. Savior like a shepherd lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures Jesus. 
Jesus, blessed Jesus, hear, oh, hear us when we pray. Early let us seek thy favor, early let us do thy will. Blessed Lord and only Savior, And now would the ushers come forward for the morning offering, please? can. Amen. And remain standing, please. And turn with me to number eight. Come thou almighty king. Amen. Why don't we sing all four verses of number eight? Come, thou almighty king. Yeah. 
Spend some time now in prayer, coming before the throne of grace with praises and thanksgivings and requests. With a couple of prayer requests put forward in the uh, in the offering plate. Um, do we have any prayer requests that uh, we haven't mentioned on the prayer slips? We want to make sure to remember. Yes. Hmm. Dear friend who's grieving the loss of her son. I want to be sure to be keeping, uh, as I'm sure you are, Steve and Jane in your prayers this week. I spoke to Jane this morning, and she said uh, Steve was um, was with it somewhat this morning and uh, uh, ate a little bit, and uh, and that he was a bit disoriented because he woke up in his study. <laughs> uh, but I think she was, Jane was encouraged this morning by that. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, to your throne, the throne of the great King of all kings, the God of the whole universe. We come to your throne in prayer. And Lord, we, we come conscious of our own sin. We're sons and daughters of Adam and Eve that we, like them, have gone astray in many ways, that we've forsaken you as our king. Even this week, Lord, there's in many ways we've broken your law and done things we ought not to have done and left undone things which we ought to have done. And so for all these sins, Lord, and even those we're not conscious of, we come to you boldly to Jesus for forgiveness, trusting in the promise that those who come to you and confess their sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness because of Jesus. We trust his death for our cleansing, his resurrection for new life. And we trust, Lord, the wit present witness of your spirit as you testify to our spirits that we are sons and daughters adopted in the family. And so knowing, Lord, that we've been cleansed of our sins, that we can come boldly in Jesus' righteousness, we come to you as if we're coming to our, our own dear Father, as you are our Father. We come, Lord, and we, we pray your blessing over your church in all nations. 
gospel of Jesus even today is being proclaimed all over the world. We praise and we thank you for that, Lord. Like leaven in a little bit of dough since the days of the early church, the name of Jesus has gone all around the world. And Father, we we praise you for that and we pray that you would continue to advance your gospel mission in the world. We pray especially for churches in troubled places, missionaries in unreached places, that where it's hard, Lord, that you would be so present and at work. We know that in those places, we think of China, of North Korea, of the Middle East, places where the gospel is oppressed, that you would be doing a great work of growth. We pray, Lord, even for churches in our own area that are preaching the gospel, we pray that you continue to strengthen and encourage the Christians around us and in our own community, Lord. We pray for revival, new life in our community, in our state, and in our country, Lord. We know that apart from the enlivening power of your Holy Spirit and the good news of Jesus, we're as good as dead. And so we pray, Father, that you would be doing a work in this place. We pray for our government and our authorities, those that you've put in place over us to establish justice and keep the peace. And we pray, Lord, that you'd give them wisdom and knowledge. We pray that, uh, that our government would continue to, to maintain a just and a verdant society. Lord, we come to you with a number of burdens this morning in our church community and our surrounding community. We, we think, of course, of Steve and Jane. And we just pray that you'd be so present with them, as we know you are, but that they would, be, they would feel your presence, especially Jane, Lord, that she would know the presence of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Lord, Jane's asked that we pray that she'd be able to find a home and also that uh, your will would be done. What a wonderful prayer, Lord. Every time we come to you in prayer, we ask your will be done because you are good. And even if we don't know what should happen or what will happen, we know you do. And so we come to you and we entrust ourselves totally to you. We entrust Stephen Jane totally to you. And we say, your will be done. Lord, we pray for uh, Herm this morning. He's not with us. He's at home on oxygen, and this weather is not good for his lungs. We pray that you'd help him to breathe as you breathe the breath of life into us. Help him to breathe. We pray for Warren Ard, who's going to surgery on Tuesday for tumors in his lungs and his esophagus. We pray that you'd give the doctors steady and precise hands and that every bit of those tumors would be gone. You'd restore him to health. And we pray, Lord, for his spiritual health, too. That he would come to know you, Jesus, the great physician, not just over physical health, but of our souls and minds. We pray for Millie's funeral as it approaches. And we pray that it would be a good day for her family, time to grieve and to celebrate, to give you thanks, Lord, and to mourn. We pray that you'd be glorified on that day. That some, Lord, who haven't heard the gospel or haven't believed it might hear and believe that you'd be working to glorify yourself. We thank you that Millie even now is in your presence. Lord, we pray for a, a friend who has a grieving son. 
pray that you'd be a comfort to her. And we pray um, that you, by your spirit, would be ministering comfort there. We pray, Lord, for all the unspoken prayer requests of those in this room who are struggling with besetting difficulties of various kinds. We know that you can see our hearts even better than we can. And so, Lord, we lift up those who are struggling. We know that you're a kind and faithful and powerful king, and we thank you, Lord, because of Jesus, we can come to you as sons. We were once enemies, but now we're drawn close. We lift up all of our concerns to you, even those that haven't been mentioned to you this morning, and we, we pray that you'd be with us and working in our lives. We thank you for your great kindness to us, and we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be taking a, a break this morning from our series in Mark. We're actually going to be in the book of Philippians this morning. So if you want to open to Philippians chapter 1, that's where we're going to be hanging out. It's one of my favorite chapters. For pretty much as long as, as Miranda and I have been here at Liberty, our church has been in a prolonged season of, of mourning, of suffering and sickness and grief of various kinds. Um, I think we have a sense that we're kind of weighed down by illness in our congregation. Our pastor is facing his last days and weeks. We've dealt with prolonged construction on our building, and this summer, on top of it all, a prolonged absence from each other because of the coronavirus. We've gone through a lot. Do you feel tired? Yeah. Worn out? Weary. Yeah, it's a good word, Allison. Take a deep breath. It's okay to feel tired or strained. In a way, we've been grieving as a congregation in one way or another for a long while. That's okay. We should be able to acknowledge that. It's good to take time to grieve. This morning we're going to look at the, the example of the Apostle Paul, who underwent a number of prolonged soul-burdening seasons in his life and ministry. So we're going to look at his experience in what might be the strangest, most oppressive moment of his life. The future was unsure, the circumstances were less than ideal, and there was every reason for Paul's heart to be heavy. But through it all, he maintained a level of durable, unshakable joy. So open with me. We're in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians is a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul. He was one of the apostles. The apostles were men specifically commissioned by Jesus to lay the foundations of the early church, proclaiming the good news of Jesus throughout the Roman world. 
Um, just a sort of a nutshell summary of Paul's life. We could look to the book of Acts, where um, we pick up on Paul's story in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus had ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit had come down on the church in power, and thousands of people were coming to Christ, and Paul was a Pharisee, a very religious man, a religious Jew, and he hated and persecuted Christians, followers of Jesus in those early days. But then we witness his miraculous conversion. Jesus appears to him on the road and became a Christian. And not just a Christian, he becomes an apostle and a church planter. He's an evangelist and a missionary. He spent years crisscrossing the Mediterranean Sea, tenaciously planting churches, getting run out of towns because of his preaching, and then going to the next one. He debated philosophers, and he taught in synagogues. Eventually, as we follow Paul's story, he's arrested on trumped-up charges, and because he was a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. He said, send me to Rome so the emperor can decide my fate because the local governors didn't really know what to do with him. And in the book of Philippians, that's where we find Paul. He's sitting in a Roman jail cell. After years of freedom, wandering from place to place, experiencing powerful miracles and seeing many people come to faith, now he's stuck in a cell. And he writes a letter to one of his churches, the churches he planted, the church in Philippi. And Paul begins his letter with, his, with a typical greeting. I love Paul's greetings to his churches as he's writing. You can tell this is just an outpouring of affection and love for the Philippians. This was a church that he'd started. These really were his people. We're not going to spend too much time in the first 11 verses, but they're a really beautiful picture of how much Paul loves his people. He's praying for them, and he says that whenever he thinks of them, his heart just bursts with joy at the work that God had been doing in them. It's a beautiful passage. And in verse 12, Paul begins a personal update. He says, I love you guys so much, so here I want you to know what's going on with me. I'm in prison. It seems like the Philippians already knew that. So Paul spends most of his time explaining how he's doing in prison. And in verses 12 through 26, he gives us his status update. He's in prison, but he's joyful. He's in prison, but he's joyful. What's Paul's secret here? How is it that he could be joyful amid suffering? Here's, here's my summary statement of what I... What I see is Paul's example of dealing with suffering. And this is our big idea for this morning. Wholehearted devotion to Jesus empowers durable joy. Wholehearted devotion to Jesus empowers durable joy. There's a kind of joy that transcends even the most dire and straining of earthly circumstances. It's not a trite, easy happiness that kind of like papers over sorrow. No, there's a kind of joy that can exist even in the midst of the darkest kind of sorrow. And if you want to have access to a deep, 
unfathomable well of real joy, durable joy. Live your life in such a way that Jesus is your greatest joy. That's what Paul did, and we're going to see that wholehearted devotion to Jesus empowered durable joy in Paul's life. And my prayer is that for all of us, in every situation, even as we wade through deep waters, that we'd be able to rejoice in Jesus. Let's pray together and ask God to bless our time together in the word. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we don't really want to hear from Ian. We don't care what a man has to say. We want to hear what you have to say in your word. So we pray that you'd speak to us by your spirit as we come to your word. And spirit, as you inspired the word at its writing, we pray now that you would enlighten it in our hearts. We'd understand with our minds. We come to love you with our hearts. And that your word would work its way out into our hands this week. Bless this time, we pray, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. How could Paul rejoice in Jesus, even in his greatest suffering? We're going to see two ways. Two ways this morning in our text. Two doorways into joy that Paul accessed even trapped in a Roman cell. So first, Paul rejoiced that Jesus was being proclaimed in his suffering. Paul rejoiced that Jesus was being proclaimed in his suffering. Look with me at verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. The suffering that Paul was enduring was actually a tool in the hands of of a sovereign God to advance the gospel of Jesus. And Paul saw this. In the middle of his suffering, rotting in a Roman prison, he writes, I want you to know, brothers, you've, you've got to be encouraged that what's happening to me, to all worldly observers, looks like an absolute loss. But my suffering turns out to have been an opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. The reason Paul could rejoice amid suffering is that he was wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus. Paul loved Jesus more than his own comfort or worldly circumstance. His highest aim, his greatest joy, wasn't physical comfort or personal freedom. His greatest joy was to see the good news of Jesus proclaimed to those who needed to hear it. And proclaiming Jesus was Paul's greatest joy because Paul knew and loved Jesus. Paul loved Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you've experienced that love too. You know the gospel of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. You know how by his perfect life and his death on the cross we can actually be forgiven by faith in him. Our sins can be washed away. You know how in his resurrection we're actually raised with him to a new and eternal life. You know that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, dying the death our sins merit. 
and giving to us his perfect righteousness so that we can actually stand in the presence of God forgiven wearing the robe of Christ's righteousness adopted into the family of God. We know that while we were enemies of God, God the Father gave his son to die for us so that we, his enemies, could be saved. In sum, we know how much Christ loves us. And if you know that in a real way, you know that we owe everything to him. When we've really experienced the love of God and the gospel of Jesus, we can't help but give our hearts totally to him. Real experience of the living grace of Jesus always results in wholehearted devotion to him. I want you to listen here. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read from Paul's letter to, to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy. Paul had so experienced the grace of Christ that he was just brimming, brimming with Jesus' love for sinners. And this is a glimpse of the beating center of Paul's heart. For reference, this is 1 Timothy 1. I'm going to read starting in verse 12. Listen to Paul's words here. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. But Paul had experienced the love of God in the face of Jesus. And God's grace to Paul in Jesus had so transformed his life and his heart that even to think on God's grace led him to worship. Did you notice that? In the middle of the letter, he just explodes in praise. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul loved Jesus. And the more we come to love Jesus to see him as our greatest treasure and our closest friend, the more we long for the world to know him. Paul was so obsessed with Jesus, so devoted to his Savior, that in the hardest moment of his life, all he can write to his friends is how this suffering had given him opportunities to proclaim Jesus. Verse 12 again, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me, imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul loved Jesus, and he loved that his suffering had given him an opportunity to glorify and to proclaim 
Jesus. Suffering can grant us unique opportunities to proclaim Jesus. On one level, and from a human perspective, Paul's imprisonment was a barrier. It's literally a physical barrier keeping him from physical comfort and personal freedom and every avenue of ministry he'd ever had. But it really wasn't a barrier to proclaiming the Savior that he loved. In fact, he saw it as an opportunity. It was an opportunity to reach an audience he knew he couldn't reach any other way. Only as a prisoner in Rome did he have the ear of the imperial guard. These were the emperor's bodyguards, literally. And in Roman history, they proved to be very influential. You can imagine that the the guys who have the emperor's life in their hands would be influential. These guards were at the heart of the power structure of the Roman world, and 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Paul had an imperial guard standing outside his cell. Paul was a prisoner with a captive audience. And apparently he took advantage, verse 13 again, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul made sure that the whole imperial guard knew that Paul was there for Jesus his beloved Lord. The imperial guard and all the rest knew that this Paul guy, whatever else you might say about him, was deeply committed to Jesus. He wasn't a criminal. He wasn't a disgraced politician. He was there for one reason, one name, and that was Jesus. And the more willing that Paul was to suffer for Jesus, the more the world was forced to ask Why is Jesus so worth it? What is it about this man, Jesus, that causes people to go to such lengths to make him known? The specific circumstances of his imprisonment, his captive audience, and his willingness to suffer for Jesus were a perfect, painful platform for Paul to make Jesus known. Whatever suffering that we're facing, we're actually being given, like Paul, a unique platform to proclaim Jesus in our suffering. And in the midst of the worst suffering, that's actually reason to rejoice. It doesn't fix everything. But amidst sorrow and suffering and pain, it's a real and durable joy to hold on to that we can rejoice in our own unique opportunities to proclaim Jesus. What, what platform has God given you through your suffering? Not every kind of suffering we experience will give us as remarkable a platform as Paul had. But making Jesus known in the world is our task. It's our gift. He's set us apart for good works, individually and specifically. He set you apart, Christian. Every moment of your life is an opportunity to glorify the God who saved you and to make the goodness of Jesus known to the people around you. Every moment, 
even suffering. I think our pastor is a great example of this. He hasn't wasted his cancer. He hasn't. He's seen it as one of the great opportunities of his life that everyone he's talked to in the last year and a half has been a captive and attentive audience for him to be able to share about the reality of life and death, the reality of heaven and hell, and the reality of Steve's real hope in heaven, proved by his circumstances, staring at the prospect of death in the face with confidence because Steve knows Jesus. And people have been saved. What an opportunity. And he hasn't wasted it. What platform has God given you in this present moment to make known the goodness of Jesus? Rejoice that even amidst suffering, you can make your great Savior known. Paul rejoiced that Jesus was being proclaimed in his suffering. But it wasn't just him who was doing the proclaiming. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The great apostle had been imprisoned for boldly speaking his faith, and now, apparently, the Christians of Rome had become emboldened too. Paul's example of sticking to his guns had been powerful. His courage under fire was contagious. But it wasn't just his friends who were preaching while Paul was in prison. Verse 15, some indeed preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Apparently, there were some people who were not the biggest fans of Paul, and they were proclaiming Christ boldly as a way of sticking it to Paul. <laughs> hey, Paul, I know you're really not able to, to preach outside anymore. When was the last time you were outside, Paul? But don't worry. We've got it covered. We don't really need you anymore, Mr. Big Shot Apostle. And what's Paul's reaction to these prideful, reputation-conscious self-centered preachers. I love this. This is classic, Paul. Verse 18. What then? What then? So what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What could have been more spiteful than for Paul's enemies to kick him when he was down, to taunt him while he was in prison? But even that didn't faze him. Whether it was his friends or his enemies, proclaiming Jesus didn't matter to Paul. Paul didn't give a rip who was in the pulpit. He didn't care. He didn't even care that the people who hated him were trying to get him back. Who cares? So what? What then? Just so long as people were hearing about Jesus, he didn't care who was doing it. If Jesus was being proclaimed, Paul could rejoice. That's a durable joy. That's the joy we can find if we forget ourselves 
and satisfy ourselves merely that Jesus is being made known to a world that desperately needs him. I remember I said we had two points this morning. So first, we've seen that Paul rejoiced that Jesus was being proclaimed in his suffering. Secondly, we're going to see Paul rejoiced that Jesus would be glorified in his body, in life or death. Tail into verse 18 here. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul was confident that the whole mess that he was in was going to turn out for his deliverance. I think most of us, when we're in the, the pressure cooker of suffering, would define deliverance as an end to suffering, right? We expect Paul to mean by this, I'm suffering now, but I know that through your prayers and the spirit of Jesus, I'll be out of prison soon. And I'll be able to get back to normal life, right? That's deliverance. Wrong. It's not what Paul means here. He explains. Deliverance for Paul didn't necessarily mean an end to suffering. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's going to explain. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul defines deliverance as not being ashamed, but with full courage, glorifying Christ in life or death. Paul is confident that he'll be delivered because as long as he lived, he would still be able to glorify Christ. And if he were to die, well, in that case, he would gain Christ and be in his presence forever. Either way, says Paul, I'm all about Christ, and in life or death, if Christ is honored in my body, that's gain. For the sold-out Christian, both life and death are opportunities. Living grants opportunities to glorify Jesus. Paul was ready to glorify Jesus no matter what happened. Verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Seemed to be a question for Paul. He didn't know if his imprisonment would end in death. He says, either way, if I'm going to keep living, great. I get to glorify Jesus. That was his life's work, and he loved it, even in suffering. And as long as I'm alive, he thought, I'll have joy in making Christ known. And we too can rejoice to live our lives for Jesus' glory. No matter what happens, no matter how circumstances change, if your joy is rooted in glorifying Jesus, even when your heart is breaking, nothing can ever take that joy away. Rejoice to live your life for Jesus' glory. Living granted Paul more opportunities to glorify Jesus, and yet he says he would have been happy to die too. For the sold-out Christian, both living and dying are opportunities. Dying 
grants the opportunity to eternally enjoy Jesus. Tail end of verse 22 here. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul knew where his greatest treasure was, and it wasn't on earth. If I die, I get to be with Jesus, and that is far better than anything the sin-weary, broken world can give. We should rejoice to live out our lives for Jesus' glory, but we can also, as strange as it is in the eyes of the world, we can rejoice to die and enter the joy of the Master. That's a durable joy. If our joy is in Jesus, if our greatest pleasure is to see him glorified and known, then not even death can steal our joy. In suffering, sickness, and every circumstance in life, we can have a baseline joy in making Jesus known in every opportunity, even the greatest suffering. And then, as we face death, even then, our joy in our Savior doesn't have to be diminished. Instead, it will be increased. Because for those of us who are in Christ, as our bodies pass away, our spirits will go and be with the Lord. And, as Paul puts it, that is far better. Paul concludes his thought on the matter like this. Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The record of Paul's life ends at this imprisonment in the book of Acts. But from the rest of scripture and sources in church history, we know that from this imprisonment, Paul was actually eventually released. Uh, and it seems like he actually was able to continue to minister and do ministry for a while until eventually he was arrested again. Uh, and from the records of church history, we think that he was uh, martyred in one of the great Roman persecutions. I think this passage is so appropriate for us today because in the example of Paul as he wrote to his congregation, I can hear echoes, I think, of what our pastor would say to us from his suffering. Steve has set a standard for us in terms of living and suffering for the joy of glorifying and proclaiming Jesus. What will we do with our suffering, with our sorrow, with our inconveniences, with our sickness, with our health, with our lives, with our deaths? Will we rejoice to make Jesus known through all of it? The secret to durable, unshakable joy is to devote ourselves totally to Jesus, to have our Savior as our greatest treasure. And I think this is, is especially true in light of eternity. The circumstances of this present age will always disappoint on some level. We're, we're bound in these bodies and with unperfected hearts 
to constantly battle sickness of body and the spiritual sickness of sin. But for those of us who know Christ, our future is sure. We will dwell in the presence of God forever. We will live in the new heavens and the new earth, in resurrection bodies, free from sin and sickness and COVID and cancer and pain, forever enjoying the presence of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy in Jesus will never run out, never fade, never fail. Through every trouble and storm of this life, through death and into life everlasting, for those of us who know Christ as our greatest treasure, joy in Jesus, and making him known, and seeing him proclaimed, and one day in experiences, experiencing his immediate presence, joy in Jesus will never fail. In every situation, whatever may come, wholehearted devotion to Jesus empowers durable joy. In every situation, we can rejoice in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come with hearts overwhelmed in many ways, but as the waves wash over us, we come confidently to Jesus with a durable joy rooted in his promises. We pray, Lord, that in our suffering, in our circumstances, whatever may come, you'd make us attentive to the opportunities you sovereignly appoint for us to glorify you. And we pray, Lord, that you would sustain us until that day when you decide that our days are done. And we'd go and be with you in your presence forever. In many ways, we know that would be better, but... Like Paul, we're happy, Lord, to live each day, every day that you should give us, to glorify you. We pray that that would be the case. You'd be glorified in our lives and that we would rejoice in your glory. We pray all of these things in the precious and comforting name of Jesus Christ. Amen. How fitting the final song, number 408, how firm a foundation, what a firm foundation we have in Jesus. Let's stand and sing 408, how firm a foundation, we'll sing the first and the last verses. <laughs> 